Welcome to Connecting with the Toms podcast. I'm your co-host, Julie Tom, a trauma-informed movement specialist. I'm Dr. Dick Tom, a biological medicine physician. Uh, we wish to share the untold truth about health and fitness industry based on our combined 70 plus years of experience. We want you to connect and feel empowered in your own mind and body by interacting with each other. This show is about connection for you, for us, and for the world. This is Connecting with the Toms podcast. Let's start connecting. Welcome to another episode of Connecting with the Toms. I'm Julie. I'm Dr. Tom. And today we're going to dive into the world of headaches, but more specifically, uh, because headaches, there could be a thousand and one reasons why you have headaches. We'll, we'll touch upon migraines as well. But dad, do you want to get us uh, started with what your take is on what's happening in the body when we, have, when we struggle with a headache? You know, the, 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 the most common thing that I've said in seminars, uh, you know, when somebody has a headache, uh, what do you do? And invariably they'll say, I take something. I take Tylenol, I take Advil, I take acetaminophen, et cetera. I said, and what happens? Well, I don't feel a headache. Well, so do you think your headache was due to a Tylenol deficiency or a, you know, an Advil deficiency or whatever? <laughs> no. Well, then if you, so what you did is you didn't really treat the headache. You just treated the symptom of the headache. So, you know, what we're more interested than in, what we'll talk about today is, you know, what are the, some of the types of things you would want to consider uh, when having a headache? Now, we're not saying that you shouldn't necessarily take something that's uh, over the counter or some of the things we'll suggest. However, it's, it still behooves you to do investigation, probably more investigation that way your primary care doctor may do, who will more of a likely just reach for some, recommend some type of an analgesic. So we'll branch into those types of things today. Okay. So do you want to dive into the different types of headaches people can experience? long uh there's <laughs> you know there's you can first of all you can divide headaches into uh, what's called vascular headaches or non-vascular headaches so you know you know typically we think of a migraine headache of which you have several you have classic migraines common migraines complicated migraines you have cluster headaches you have high blood pressure headaches you have exertional headaches you have hangover headaches with toxicity and drug headaches, oh, have vascular disease headaches. Those are just the, you know, in that aspect. But then you get the so-called non-vascular that people probably complain about a lot when they come in, oh, I have a headache, which are mm -hmm. tension headaches, uh, you know, often related from the neck, from the shoulders, from the back, they didn't sleep right. Uh, or they, you know, their head is in a different position. There's, there, unfortunately, things like, Tumors in your head can cause headaches, chronic sinus infections, dental, uh, you know, some problems with your cavity or, or your teeth, I mean, uh, right. TMJ headaches, uh, middle, middle, ear, middle ear infections. So <laughs> it's, it's so, lengthy. It's okay. Lengthy. It's a rabbit hole. So rabbit if you're someone hole. that struggles with headaches and you just take a Tylenol, it's like there's you know, like you really need to understand, you know, where's your headache coming from and just taking a Tylenol. I know something that you don't recommend because it's like you don't have a Advil or Tylenol deficiency. So how does someone start 
by addressing their headaches? Like, where do you recommend somebody like, yeah, it's somebody, I get headaches every so often, or I have a client that says, you know, I, I do struggle with migraines every so often when I'm really stressed out, it gets triggered. Um, what do you suggest to someone to help start managing their headaches? What would you, what would be like step one? I think the step one is, is going back to what all our previous podcasts have talked about, which are looking at what are, what are you doing on an everyday basis for yourself or what may have you not been doing on an everyday basis. So the number one thing that you have to look at is hydration. Uh, people get dehydrated. It's pretty, it's a very common trigger. When did you last eat? Uh, blood sugar is uh, definitely uh, another very common one. And in fact, uh, fluid stat status, hydration status, and blood sugar status uh, are probably two of the more common ones. And then not necessarily, but a common trigger of migraines that we'll talk more about is, of course, hormones. So mm-hmm. you start looking at trying to find so what I, if somebody has recurrent headaches or frequent headaches, I, it's, I think it's important that they start journaling. They start literally writing, writing them on the calendar and saying, you know, and was, what time of day do you get them? Do you get them? Does it wake you up in the morning? Do you in the, in the afternoon? Does the, you know, what is there a time of day that you tend to get it? And you can't just say, oh, I've had two headaches. So you have to journal this maybe for 30 days or three months. Uh, so the first place to start is journal. And then you take that to your physician and say, these are the types of things that I see when I tend to get the headache. And sometimes you can figure it out yourself or get a sense of what it is. And your doctor can help you also uh, try to sort some of that stuff out. Obviously, you know, a full comprehensive evaluation uh, that involves everything uh, that, that a doctor would look at from your blood test. In serious cases, they may even take an image of your head to see if there's, uh, you know, potentially some type of a mass or uh, that's going on. But that's that's we're not talking about everyday headaches. Although migraine headaches, that's commonly something that ultimately gets done. So, look at the periodicity is really the first thing that somebody should get. It's did you sleep last night? Did you not sleep? Did you drink alcohol? What did you eat? As we know, food sensitivities, food reactions, and delayed food reactions, because one of the challenges often with headaches is, you know, you eat food X, and it's like, well, I ate food X four times last week, I didn't get a headache, and now I did. So it could be a delayed reaction, it could be a combination of different foods, which it makes it difficult, obviously, to try and figure out. However, uh, migraines, unfortunately, in my experience of treating I'm going to say hundreds, hundreds of people with migraine headaches. I find it in some cases more difficult to treat a migraine headache than I do to treat cancer. Cancer is a is pretty specific of the things we can do. Migraine headaches is 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 a lot of trial and error really that that goes into managing or supporting somebody who has migraine headaches. And in some patients, it's I've, I've supported them for I'll say years. Unfortunately, still trying to find you know that 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 final trigger, that aspect. And, you know, we can change the pattern, we can change the quality, we can change the severity, uh, et cetera. But it's like, but you still get them. Why? So it's a continual, it's a continual search uh, for people. And we'll talk more about it in some of the details uh, you know, as we go through this. All right. So to summarize, first rule of healing club is... <laughs> awareness. <laughs> you got to bring awareness to what's going on, right? So by journaling or whatever you need to do to bring 
awareness of what's happening in your life. What did you eat? How much hydration you had? How much sleep did you have? How stressed? How stressed are you? So for me and my experience of working with people, the emotions play a big, 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 big factor. And so if I just talk about like my own experience, like I've never struggled with thankfully migraines, but I do get, I'll call it a tension headache. What's interesting is that I get, I can actually trace the source. So I have a trigger point on my, on the top of my, or in the middle of my right shoulder blade. And whenever I actually relax, it's actually interesting when I get, when I know I've had like a crazy busy week and I actually relax that spot, it almost becomes pulsating. And then I can almost trace it and it goes up my back behind my head and then shoots out my right eyeball. And it's intense. And so in the past, I've learned to address it with pressure. So what I've learned is my, to work with headaches and, and, and migraines per se, it's usually sensory. You have to go sensory because that's, you know, when we speak to the nervous system, it's very much reliant on um, sensory input. For instance, a lot of people with migraines, they have to go in tar- total darkness. They have to go lay down, no movement. Um, so if you look at the things that you do to actually help you when you're in a headache, like a lot of times, like your head's pounding, you don't want to move. So your vestibular system saying, Hey, I don't feel safe. So anyway, so what I used to do is do a trigger point and slow down my breathing. So a lot of people with migraines, again, they focus on their breathing, slow things down, try to manage the stress. But what I also learned through my neurology course is your eyes, your eyes are the window to your brain. And many times, depending on what's going on with your head, a headache, it means there's something in your brain that doesn't feel safe. So it's like, okay, so if you're going to be journaling, ask yourself, why doesn't my body feel safe right now? So if you start asking yourself that on a more regular basis, you might have more information than just, I ate something bad right? So it's just, there's other pieces of the puzzle just to look at it. So that's been my experience. And also, so now instead of just like laying on a ball and rolling at the trigger point and breathing, I actually apply neurology. So I do eye drills and it's magical because as soon as I do it, I calm my nervous system and the pain goes away. It's like, if I didn't experience it, I wouldn't tell you about it, but it's something that I've experienced. So dad, once you have awareness, what would be the second um, thing that you would suggest somebody do then? Once you're aware of, we'll say the trigger that's associated with, you know, a headache in general or migraine more specifically, obviously then it, it, it behooves you to continue to search for solution for, to try and minimize whatever that, that, trigger and unfortunately it's usually not a single thing if it's a single thing it's pretty easy because let's say it's a direct food sensitivity you know some people will say if i you know eat chocolate i get a headache i get a migraine or i drink red wine with sulfites i get a headache so well unfortunately you won't be able to drink wine if you don't want a headache uh, type thing so but it's never the patients who I end up saying it's never that easy because that part they figured out. So it's like, why don't I get a headache? So it's, it's pretty straightforward. They're generally much more complicated uh, for doing that. So the, then what, you know, once we have the awareness that we follow through with that type of thing, but equally what I find is a lot of people will journal, but they still haven't determined the awareness Mm-hmm. Uh, of what's going on. So I think we can, you know, we should just we can look at or think about, you know, what the variety of 
different types of symptoms and the severity of different types of symptoms that different people experience and statistically you know what what's sort of going on so i'll you know, just just mention a couple of things that migraine is not something that's that's unique to the western world it's actually a worldwide phenomenon and fortunately generally women seem to experience it a little more frequently than men although men uh, do certainly get migraines uh, because women tend to have it more there's always there's a sense that there's a hormonal component especially if migraines come either just before or during or after a menstrual cycle or maybe at ovulation and so you know there's as the hormones are changing uh, we can assume that there's a hormonal component in that particular individual uh, for what's going on statistically about one in five people in in the world actually experience something that's called a, a migraine and you know there's a there's a couple of simple questions that that you can ask somebody to say or they can ask themselves is what i'm experiencing a migraine or you know is it is it something different uh, for for you know is it just a headache or is this a migraine headache uh, ultimately that that uh, that i'm experiencing so there's three simple questions that you can ask yourself does the headache that you have uh, limit your activities for a day or more uh, in the last three months? That's the first question. Are you nauseated or sick to your stomach when you when you have a headache? Uh, and does the light bother you when you have a headache? And that, surprisingly, those three questions, if they're all positive, has about a 90% accuracy in, in uh, detecting whether somebody has a migraine or not. So if if... If it's not that, uh, then you have a headache. <laughs> if you don't have those three things, then you would, then one of the first things we talked about is one of the other types of headaches, uh, ultimately, uh, that, that's, that you are ultimately experiencing. So, you know, you look at seasons, you look at hormones, you look at food, and which is why often people will journal just one thing because they'll say, what do I journal? You know, when you want me to journal, I say, unfortunately, you have to journal everything. You have to journal the time of day that you get it how you slept, what you ate, what you drank, what your activity was, what your stress level was, where are you in your in your menstrual cycle, uh, et cetera, et cetera. <clears throat> and so the combination of those things, hopefully, will at least put you in the ballpark so we get a, a, a sense of uh, ultimately maybe, you know, causing it. You know, and what's what's unfortunate is despite the, the, the worldwide frequency of, of migraines and a lot of research that's gone in got into it the research unfortunately is mostly focused on on medic on pharmaceutical medication as opposed to trying to understand but what's going on because you know we do have theories uh that have been proposed you know one this whole idea of vasomotor the, the dilation of the vessels some people that they found oh there's a platelet problem and, and uh you know they they clot and for some reason. Uh, for some people, it's a neuronal thing. For some people, it's a serotonin level. So it's, but then they say, well, nobody fits, not everybody fits into one of those. So they say, well, it's, it's all of the above. So in other words, we don't know, which is why I said a minute ago that it's, it's, it can be very frustrating and very complicated to try and sort it out. However, that does not mean we can't help them. 
a variety of things that that they can do for themselves. To recap, when we're journaling and we're trying to bring awareness, we should look at the physical, what's going on physically in our bodies, uh, mentally, what's going on, emotionally, what's going on, spiritually, what's going on. So, you know, the socially, what's going on. So really addressing all the pieces of life and your environment matters. So just something to, to explore there. Once I've done that, though, it's like, okay, like you talked about, there are some ways to start healing. So let's say, yeah, it is hormonal. I mean, it's hard to say, like, give you like, okay, if you have migraines, do this. Like most of the time, you know what you need to do um, because you experience it, right? Like, you know, you got to go, like, if you said yes to those three questions, then you know, you got to go in a dark room and, you know, put some pressure on your head is what I hear a lot of people do. They'll put pressure on their eyeballs. So the thing for me, when I look at it from, when I look at what people do when they are suffering from a headache from uh, a headache versus a migraine, it's all sensory. You know, they're going back to, it's. there's no language that needs to be said here. It's like, I feel this. So when you feel something, what sensory input, what's your sensory hierarchy when you have a migraine? And that's when I talk about emotions, it's a big piece of the puzzle. And many of us don't speak or understand the emotional language of our bodies. So your migraine's trying to do it for you, right? At the end of the day, it's your body trying to speak to you. What would you say in terms, like for me, it's like, okay, once you have that awareness, what sensory input do you need to do to help you support yourself would be the next step. But for you, dad, without going into pharmacology and whatnot, what do you suggest people do to help support themselves? You know, what patients will say and many times, they will obviously try things. Sometimes they try an over-the-counter medication and, and I'll say it doesn't work. And if, if it improves, then we try and understand the, the physiology of, well, what happened? Like if Tylenol works or, you know, Advil works or, you know, acetaminophen works, whatever it is that somebody's using. Well, what's happening? Like, why does it work? How, did, how does it impact the body? And so and then unfortunately, when you do some research into what it is, you say, well, we don't know why that medication works. It's like, well, that doesn't help us. Per se, but in many cases, uh, there is a known understanding. So if that's the case, then we can actually utilize uh, natural substances. Uh, for example, uh, Imitrex has been around to treat migraines initially as an injection, for, and it would definitely help. And it's like, wow, if Imitrex works, we know that uh, the use of 5-HTP as a supplement actually will probably work too. And if they take that routinely, especially if there's some nerve, some whether it's anxiety or uh, you know some other type of, of a nervous system issue, 5-HTP can be a pretty useful supplement for for an individual in general. And so there are a whole variety of supportive things. I said uh, a little while ago, there's the aspect of trial and error. I'll, I'll just sort of list some of the common ones. Not suggesting that you should go out and be trying all these types of things, but I can tell you that with with a mix and match of that I've used with these hundreds of patients, trying to find the the best combinations. But you know, if you're going to take you know one thing, one supplement, then I don't think without any doubt, magnesium uh, is probably the most effective potential single remedy that could benefit uh, somebody who has chronic headaches, uh, also chronic migraines. 
And in fact, uh, with, with, my, with magnesium, in some cases, somebody with an acute migraine may benefit from simply doing, you know, if they could get to, a, to their physician who does IV therapy, to do an, an IV uh, magnesium drip, mm-hmm. uh, which will often abort it. Some people will find that if they go to the chiropractor during it, if they get there and have a, a, their neck adjusted, that aborts it uh, immediately. As you mentioned, doing some type of uh, physical manipulation uh, using the, the hypervolt, uh, you know, on the neck, mm-hmm. uh, on the upper back, is, will sometimes abort that. Uh, drinking water will help people abort it, uh, you know, in general. So there's there's those types of things, but there's also things that have been shown to be pretty effective, and certainly a number of my patients will use them on an ongoing basis. It includes things like just fish oil, essential fatty acids, omega three fatty acids uh, have been shown to be helpful. And a high dose of riboflavin, which is uh, vitamin B two, which you know much you're not going to find that in a in just a regular uh, vitamin B complex, but you would have to take vitamin B complex and additional riboflavin. But for some people, that's uh, particularly helpful, as is uh, vitamin B6. So, you know, some of the B vitamins, B complex, additional B6, additional B2, sometimes additional B3, which is niacin. So, I mean, we, we see that vitamin B, the vitamin B complex has uh, a good understanding for a number of people, which is why taking B vitamins on a just a generic basis is probably not a bad idea for, for most of us. You know, and then there's specifics. If it's an allergy headache, you can take vitamin C or it's a quercetin or, you know, one of the bioflavonoids, points on Q10. You know, those are, those are the types of, of things that can be done on a regular basis and or in an acute basis uh, to try and help it when you've had some level of awareness people will fast uh, uh, typically they'll drink water for some instead of it's hydration headache or a blood sugar headache uh, that often uh, will abort often will not abort a migraine headache but at least it gets you into the ballpark of, of, of continuing to do uh, your evaluation and your assessment and the initial assessment when you're starting off, this, as I said, this is typically something that in some cases may last for weeks, months, hopefully not for years, but uh, definitely I've had patients who will tell me that they've had migraine headaches for the last 20 years on you know some semblance of a regular or regular irregular basis, which, you know, so it's part of the history we should say also is <clears throat> if there's a family history, often it's a mother, a, a sister, grandmother and an aunt who has a who has a family history of that which so there's some there's evident there's some epigenetic component that seems to be related to this maybe haven't figured that out yet but and that doesn't that we're not saying because your mother had migraines that, that that's why you have migraines there's an epigenetic and a genetic component that i think we have to recognize as as part of this and Thankfully, with epigenetics, we know we can change that and we don't have to necessarily uh, deal with the same things that uh, our parents did. As we talked about previously, and I don't talk about migraine specifically in my new book, but uh, you know, the whole idea of trauma, past trauma, trans- uh, transgenerational trauma can be a component that, that's uh, related to this. And uh, you mentioned the whole idea of emotions and how important emotions is. And, 
we now realize that the greatest toxicity that our body experiences actually is emotional toxicity. People always think about physical toxicity. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, oh, I'm not eating organic foods or there's pesticides in the, and there's you know stuff in the water we drink. Yeah, that, those are true. But, uh, look under your kitchen sink and you'll see all these chemicals in there. It's like, well, remember, most of the exposure that we have to outdoor uh, pollution and the toxins is actually inside our house. That's so true. Well, that's it. So, I mean, there's so many different factors. Like if you just even like go to Google and put like questions about headaches, it's like, it's a rabbit hole. And there's so many different pieces of the puzzle. Is it, is it, you know, the environment? Is it the water? Is it, I'm nutrient deficient? Um, One of the, one of the top questions, are there foods I should stay away from that make my headache worse? What would you say to that? Depends on the person. Unfortunately, it does. They, uh, you know, there was that many years ago, probably maybe even 30 years ago, there's, there's been numerous, there actually has been research showing. And one of the ones that, you know, when I was still teaching neurology at the university uh, years ago, there was a study that I used to quote that was done, I want to say back in the 90s. And, and, you know, they looked at a whole variety of foods. And the, the number one food in that study was, was cow's milk, huh. followed by eggs. And so 67 and 60% of people in this migraine study reacted to cow's milk and to eggs. And so, and then it followed was chocolate, wheat, oranges, uh, cheese, tomatoes, tartrazine, fish, apples, peaches, potatoes, chicken, bananas, strawberries, melons, carrots. In other words, it could be anything. <laughs> I was going to say, like, uh, the common anything. diet. So, yeah. right. It's it's your everyday diet. Uh, you know, there are people who realize that aged cheese and, you know, what we call tyramine foods. Tyramine, for some people, is a, it's commonly found, you know, as a breakdown product of, of protein, you know, in general. And it's found in a whole variety of different types of cheeses. So... That, you know, people realize they, they, I mean, they figured out what they're journaling that, oh, every time I eat, you know, whether it's blue cheese or feta or processed or brie or Parmesan or whatever, Swiss cheese, I mean, it can be anything. And that's, that's why it's so difficult. So obviously it may behoove you to find your, your, or ask your doctor to do a food sensitivity test. Migraines is a common thing at least checking to get the obvious ones out of the way, doing a, you know, which is a blood test uh, generally. You know, we suggest not necessarily an I, an IgE, which is what we call immediate food sensitivity, but rather an IgG food sensitivity, which is more delayed food sensitivities. Because usually if you have an IgE reaction, you don't need a test. So you eat strawberries no. and your lips swell up. You or, know, yeah. You know, you you have a, a very serious reaction. You get hives every time you eat food X. Like that's an IgE reaction. You know, often with food sensitivity, it doesn't show up, may not show up for three or four days uh, in general and only in combination with things. So you look at the diet and, that's, and perhaps necessarily uh, you may need, a, as I said, a food sensitivity. So, you know, you start with the, we say there's, you know, the big nine or the big, which is basically the fruits that I listed, you know, dairy and wheat products, nuts, soy, 
are all part of that. But you don't just want to eliminate everything in your diet because then you'll never know, you know, sort of what's yep. going on. So having some guidance uh, may be helpful uh, in general, food-wise, to start as a starting point. Yeah, like so. For instance, don't just go do like a full gut reset because then you'll never know what was the trigger. So you know, it's like one food at a time. If you know that you eat a lot of cheese, we'll start with cheese. Just remove that and see if that makes a difference for you. And you know, do be your own health investigator. Um, another question that came up is: Can headaches go away naturally? Well, we know of migraines that often in a woman, when during if she has them during her menstrual cycle, when she becomes menopausal, she doesn't have headaches anymore, which is more, you know, credence to the idea that somehow hormones are a factor in that. But then we have women on the other end who never had a headache, and once they're postmenopausal, then they had headaches. Hmm. So you know, so there's it, it's it's a really a mix and a match. I do believe that. There is a hormonal component in chronic recurrent migraines in most of the patients that I see. So obviously, in those in those women, uh, we will actually look at their hormone hormones. You know, right now we do a Dutch test, which is basically a, a urine test. That's you, know, you pee on a strip uh, four different times, and it, they can track your hormones uh, over a, basically a, a twenty four hour period which is generally, in my opinion, a more accurate way of looking at the women's hormones versus just going to your doctor and having a blood test at some time of the day because what we know with hormones is that there's a circadian rhythm. Some are, some are high in the morning, some are high in the mid-afternoon, some are high at night. And depending on the time when you do it, that may not be it. And there's such a wide reference range for progesterone and estrogen and testosterone that actually Actually, seeing it over the period of a day gives you a much. I mean, that would be an, an additional if, if the woman's uh, journaling with the calendar uh, and her menstrual cycle. Should you go to sleep with a headache? Um, ideally, <laughs> for sometimes with migraines, that's what uh, you know. It's interesting. Another thing about migraines is very often some type of a discharge uh, actually is mm -hmm. helpful. So, women who or men who have a migraine. And during it, know that if they throw up, that will abort the headache. Or if it's related to the menstrual cycle, just before, especially when they start bleeding, the headache stops. So it's it, so a discharge uh, is something. So you'd say, well, those people may benefit from doing sauna, having a sauna, or doing an activity which they don't feel like doing because they feel so terrible. Because as you said, they're in a dark room often and closer their eyes. They don't want anybody to talk to them. They don't want the hidden hissings of their cell phone ring or anything like that. And so for those people, some people, they'll sleep it off. And it seems that once they wake up, uh, it's fine. But then other people will have a migraine for three days and no matter how much they do, they don't abort it. And it just seems to, to go away. So should you go to, so you your question is, should you go to sleep with a, with a headache? If you evaluated that you're not dehydrated, you probably don't have low blood sugar, you know, and there's some issue like that, then that's one of the things that actually will help people actually get through the headache is to sleep it off, so to speak. So it depends on the person. Unfortunately, <laughs> all this depends. Yes. All, this. all of it depends. We need more information. Unfortunately, so, it all depends. Right. 
But okay, can you answer this? So when should I be worried about a headache or when should it, you know, is there a type of headache that's an actual emergency and I should go get help like ASAP? Absolutely. The, uh, I mean, there, there, there is a reality that, that I think is important. And so, you know, we call these uh, the red flags, uh, so to speak, of, of headaches. And so the red flags are never having a headache and then starting to get headaches, we'll say after about age 40. That's like, oh, you haven't had headaches before, especially these severe headaches. Headaches that are increasing in frequency. Oh, I used to get a migraine three times a year. Now I get it, you know, twice a week type thing. Um, So headaches that you're fine and then it comes on suddenly. It's like, it's like, wow, I was fine two minutes ago and now I have this severe headache. Those are often signs of could be a stroke, uh, you know, some form of a vascular bleed, uh, et cetera. Any type of a, a recent uh, head injury, a trauma, you know, traumatic brain injury, we'll say, is cause for concern. And somebody who has a history of uh, HIV or of cancer, their sudden onset of, of headaches can also be a, a foreboding sign. So, you know, we look at those as as um, as a potential very serious a complication and shouldn't be, oh, I'll, try, I'll see if the Advil or, you know, Tylenol will work. Those are ones that, uh, no, those probably need some immediate intervention and should warrant a call to your physician uh, or to his, his nurse and explain the situation because, you know, those are, those are telltale signs that uh, we need to be, uh, need to be mindful of, of something that's going on and, you know, and, and other types of things are, you know, some type of, if somebody is aware that they're having an infection much different than uh, any type, other type of infection. You know, specifically meningitis is, you know, obviously a very, very severe infection that affects the brain. Life-threatening. Uh, it can be life-threatening very quickly. So, you know, there's, those are much more, require much more intervention, uh, much sooner just don't wait and see, you know, having a stroke is the sooner that somebody has a stroke, as far as intervention is concerned, the more likely they can have 100% uh, full recovery. Uh, delaying it uh, can be unfortunately catastrophic uh, as far as required soon, if not immediate, you're a physician. Do you have any like quick tips on what someone can do when they start getting a headache or a migraine? So other than hydrate, dim the lights hot, cold therapy, practice some deep breathing, basically do all the treatment guidelines, <laughs> nebulize. I mean, as you said, you know, breathing, you, you talked about hydration, you talked about foot bath. Sometimes we'll have people put a cold compress on their neck or their forehead and stick their feet in hot water. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's the reverse. They put their feet in cold water and put heat to their head. That becomes sort of an individual thing. Having an enema uh, or doing a cis bath, uh, Sometimes you know, it will definitely people. Obviously, basic treatment guidelines has casserole packs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for some people, instead of doing a casserole pack, you do a vinegar pack on your abdomen, not on your head, uh, <laughs> per se. <laughs> because, you know, a lot of people, whether they're, because a lot of times there's a GI aspect that, that's underlying this. And so improving the, the GI, which is why an enema sometimes will help or you know, taking something, uh, taking, a, you know, a high dose of magnesium 
may actually cause a loosening of the bowels. So that type of thing, you know, or as I said, if you have a partner who could do a massage, some type of trigger point work, neck and shoulders is sort of common from those. those that's the type of at-home therapies, yes. uh, you know, that, that people should definitely try because they may find that, heck, that works really well. And so they, when they journal, they start to get a sense, you know, if they get an aura before their migraine, which means they're, they, you know, they see flashing lights or there's, a, you know, something, something's changing sensory wise. And then they, their experience is that, you know, 30 or 40 minutes later, they're going to have a headache. Just the aspect also just uh, to, to make note, not everybody, you can actually have a headache or excuse me, a migraine without head pain, which sounds curious. You see it more often in children. I've had and several children who get what we call abdominal migraines. They have every symptom that we that you could talk about. The same triggers, same problems, except they don't have head pain. All their pain goes into their digestive system, per se. So that and I've only had two women in my entire fifty plus year career. Their, man, their headache was in their uterus. And it wasn't around their menses. It was actually severe, severe discomfort in their uterus that everybody, oh, it's dysmenorrhea, it's endometriosis, you know, it's infertility, yada, yada. No, it's actually, it was a, a uterine migraine, an abdominal migraine. They don't get any head pain, but they had all the other triggers that are associated. So there is such a thing you can look it up in the medical books. It's a real thing. It's not just made up. And so, once again, these are unusual, strange, rare, uh, but do occur uh, in general. So there's those types of things. And then working with, uh, you know, with a biological medicine doc or, you know, an herbalist or whatever, there there definitely are a combination of herbal medicines uh, that are have been shown potentially that that can be helpful a butter burr is a common one that uh, people to an herbalist will will have tried uh you know generally uh, for and for some and once again we're not suggesting that that's your solution i'm just suggesting that other people who've used these types of things have had some relief and so as you're looking for a variety of different types of things those are the types of things uh, that you would consider. Definitely, if you work with somebody who does homeopathy, there's there's quite a, unfortunately, a long list of, of uh, homeopathic remedies that have shown a degree of effectiveness. You know, just for example, just at what you described for yourself from the shoulder blade coming across the head into the eye, that's a pretty a typical symptom of the homeopathic remedy, silica where it comes from that back across the mm-hmm. top into the into that forehead and eye, especially if it's the right eye. It's like, oh, you know, just homeopathy has has an interesting uh, aspect of, of types of things. You know, people who get headaches uh, when they go out in the sun, which starts in the morning with sunrise, it's worse than the sun. You know, spigelia is, is a common, uh, is, is a homeopathic remedy, you know, to consider. So, but we can go on and on because there's so many different uh, homeopathic remedies that your, your your physician would have to ask you a lot more individual questions. 
you know, we can say the, the chronic sick headache, the hangover headache, the overeating headache, oh, I eat too much, you know, maybe migraine or just headache, you know, Naxvamaka is a common remedy we call about the debauchery, you know, if you've overdone it uh, type thing, too much coffee, too much tea, too much alcohol, you know, too big a Christmas dinner, too big a turkey uh, Thanksgiving dinner, it's like, oh, I just overdid it. You know, that type of thing. So, you know, Naxvamaka uh, is, is a type of uh, remedy for that. Uh, you know, a headache, and I'll just say one more, a common headache that I think about for that's emotional related because it's such a big emotional remedy is Nat Myrrh, which basically is table salt. It's one of the best remedies there is for these chronic, especially if you have chronic headaches, it's, you know, crashing, bursting, chronic, just, you know, compressing like your head is in a vice uh, type thing is a is a not unusual presentation for somebody who would benefit from uh, taking that uh, that specific homeopathic but homeopathy must be individualized it's not like there's a generic oh this will work for everybody's headache because there's probably if we look in the materia medica my guess is 150 remedies that have been shown to have some effectiveness for specific nature of different types of headaches however there is an answer and there is a there is out there so the aspect with migraines is the importance of stay with it stay working on it uh, stay focusing with it uh, to find the solution that that will most benefit you individually so don't give up you're not alone don't give up right don't give up there's there's an answer for you because i'm like if you go for you know you want you talked about homeopathy you can go to an herbalist you know they give you teas you know, your basic like ginger, turmeric, valerian root type of thing. You can get into that. So there's teas for it, you know, essential oils, lavender oil, peppermint oil, you know, placing them on the vagus nerve can work. You know, there's acupressure points. There's that point right between your thumb and your index finger, right in the valley there, uh, large intestine. I think it's large intestine four. Hold that if you have a tension headache. I used to do that all the time. And I'm like, and it, like sometimes I'd press on it and I'm like, oh my God, it's like so tender. And I'm like, yeah, my body's been trying to talk to me. But yeah, like my dad was just saying, you know, don't give up. You're not alone. Headaches are, you know, they affect a lot, a lot, a lot of people. There are a lot of different reasons. And that's why it can be very overwhelming and very frustrating because there isn't just here, take this and you'll feel better in the morning. Like, don't take, you can't eat an apple and feel better in the morning. It's not, doesn't work that way for this one. So is there anything else that you want to touch on dad before we close off this podcast? Yeah, I, I think something that's very important. I hope everybody uh, pays attention to this and that is, which for many people will be, I hope a little distressing. When I heard it myself uh, just recently, it was a little distressing and that's the uh, overprescription and overuse of the everyday product called acetaminophen, mm. called Tylenol. The information I'm going to share is not new. It's been known for and published for at least the last two decades. And so I'm going to just sort of give you some raw information that I hope you actually sit up and make notice. So the leading cause of acute liver failure in the United States is acetaminophen, a.k.a. Tylenol. You can can have severe damage to your liver, uh, Tylenol, which is like Tylenol four times a day. Alcohol, uh, it only requires two grams, meaning you could take two pills twice a day uh, of that for a hangover, 
uh, because you've got alcohol, and you can basically go into acute liver failure. There's, there's uh, in the United States, typically there's over 500 people die every year from taking over-the-counter uh, Tylenol. Acetaminophen Tylenol is found in over 600 prescription and uh, over-the-counter products. 600 products have acetaminophen. What's interesting about it is, you know, there's a there's an aspect of well, you know, if somebody goes to the emergency room, what do they do? They actually give a massive dose of N-acetylcysteine, which, if you remember, during COVID suddenly became you couldn't get it because the FDA was finding people were using it because it was helpful for COVID. And here they are using it for acute toxicity and green tea, you know, that people could drink on a regular basis are used in the emergency room to treat uh, acute toxicity in high doses. There also is, and this one is going to be disturbing, there is a significant link between Tylenol and autism, which is like, well, what are you talking about? In general, this is not new information. This information has been around for some time. In fact, in the 70s, when Tylenol started to come out, and then in the 80s, when it became prevalent, there was a significant uptick of, of autistic presentation. And then there's, in the last 40 years, there's been three episodes because of poisoning squares of people tampering with that. The Tylenol basically was restricted. At the same time, there was three down ticks in the number of autistic cases. Is it coincidence? Maybe. There was a study done and just published uh, in October of, uh, of the last year, so three months, a few months ago, where they found uh, where they were doing sort of combination studies and looking at previous studies that had been published uh, that it's very typical for when they interviewed parents of uh, children who had autism. And, you know, for years, you've heard people talk about MMRs, the, the measles, mumps, rubella, given at 18 months, and people would say, oh, that was, that's the cause. And all the studies have said, no, that's not the cause. But what, what has been found is there was an overwhelming preponderance of the, the families who said that, in their opinion, uh, including patients that I personally have seen, that after 18 months, by watching videos of the child developing and then stopped developing, they blamed the MMR, So, which is you know this whole controversy. However, what they found is there's a preponderance that children who are susceptible to autism have what's the way that the body breaks down Tylenol, uh, acetaminophen, is what we call sulfate conjugation, which is a liver function. And it just so happens that when you test autistic children, they have a problem epigenetically in sulfate conjugation, so they don't break it down. So there is, and so unfortunately, often you know the doctor says, "Oh, after the vaccine, go home and give your child child Tylenol." That's what the problem is. It's the Tylenol more than the vaccine. So we're saying you should never, ever, 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 ever give Tylenol to a kid. That's a strong statement. And we just heard recently with the RSV, with flu and COVID, there was a you and oh my God, we're out of children's Tylenol. There's yeah. no manufacturing, we can't get it. And I said, and we should have worshipped it because parents weren't doing things that were a problem. And so in addition to that, what ultimately has happened and what has been found uh, is that there's a dramatic effect on uh, neural development in in the brain. And so they have done studies which have shown 
that mothers who took Tylenol during pregnancy has it has is affecting brain development of their of their baby uh, that ultimately is is you know growing inside them. And as a result, and despite that, and despite that study's been out for 13 years, the College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists have refused to to not tell pregnant mothers not to take Tylenol, even though they know that these studies have been published and these studies are are present for, for what's going on. So it's, there's overwhelming evidence that only as recently as three months ago has shown up in the literature of, of, of stuff we've known for almost the last 40 years not being acknowledged. So your doctor is going to say, Tylenol, oh, what did that, what does that doctor do? He doesn't know anything about this stuff. So I just said, ask him if he's read the recent literature uh, about the effect that Tylenol has on the development of a child's brain. So my gross, and this is overly simplification, obviously, the younger the child, the more serious the impact because children, babies' brains are developing so rapidly. And anybody who's had a baby, that you know, zero to one, they see how much the change there is. So, but I'm saying theoretically, since our brains don't develop until 25, 28 years old, nobody under 30 years old should ever take Tylenol. That's a Whoa. pretty, that's a ridiculous statement because everybody <laughs> lives on Tylenol. Yes. However, it has Ooh. such a dramatic impact uh, on liver, but more importantly, on the brain. And there's research that's shown, unfortunately, in lab animals that they did with some puppies that, you know, unfortunately for research, when the, when the animals died, then they did autopsies. You know, they assumed that they died of liver. There was no liver toxicity. They died of brain interference, of how the brain stopped working from an overdose of, of uh, Tylenol. It's a nasty drug wow. that's over the counter that people take like wow. candy thinking, oh, it must be safe. I'm telling you, it's not safe, especially don't don't tell your 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 um, your children who and your your who have your grandchildren. Tell them never to give their child uh, Tylenol and acetaminophen. And you know you can go on if you, you can go on PubMed. You can go on. You can find the research. No, I'm not. And you know just another thing about about autism. You know it's interesting that autistic children typically have so many food sensitivities. And you know the common foods: wheat, corn, sugar, apples, bananas, chocolate, cheese, dairy are high on what we call phenolic amines. And what do they require? They require sulfate conjugation for excretion. Autistic children have been shown often to have a problem there. That's why those foods are such a problem for them. That's why it has such a dramatic impact on their brain. I'm not saying Tylenol causes autism. However, it's one of the contributing factors along with a whole bunch of other ones. It's an easy one to avoid. There are alternatives. We have so many positive things in biological medicine, whether it's herbal, homeopathics, nutraceuticals, hands-on stuff, vagus nerve stimulation, hot and cold, et cetera, uh, to support the same reasons that you would give uh, acetaminophen to a, to a child. So take it out of your medicine cabinet. It's a literally it's one of the strongest poisons that you actually have in your house, probably presently. Strong statement, but I'm pretty strongly you know, would like to get this message out that certainly people who are interested in self-help, that they will find other methods 
of supporting any reason that they would think that, that they would need to take something. And if you're under 30, throw it away. You don't need it. <laughs> I'm just like, wow, he said it. You heard it here, folks. This is where throw away your Tylenol. And it's crazy. I'm just getting a flashback at Christmas time. It was a madhouse. I was at Walmart and everybody was like rushing in because there was like, like you said, there was a, the Tylenol for kids was not available. And people not available. It wasn't available. Panicking. People were panic, 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 panic. And it's like, seriously? And I was like, why is everybody freaking out? I don't understand. And it's just like, but I also keep in mind, I grew up in a world, <laughs> you've met my dad, you've heard my dad speak. And uh, uh, Tylenol is never in our medicine cabinet. So it's not something that I've had to stress about, but I uh, now it's like, I'm so glad. I'm so grateful, dad. So grateful you kept it out of our medicine cabinet. But definitely something to explore. I, like my dad said, you can definitely search PubMed. I'll see if I can find the articles and post them in the show notes so that you don't have to go digging too far because we want this accessible. We want this information out in the world because it's super important. If you want to improve your health, if you want to improve your migraines or your headaches, take a look at Tylenol. But obviously taking Tylenol can affect so many other factors in your body. So you probably have lots of questions and you can also contact us again, other information's there, but I just wanted to again, reiterate uh, on our last podcast, my dad's new book has come out begin again. And uh, is there any more updates on where we can get the book dad is still from your website, still from the website. Uh, and I'm happy to say that uh, a lot of people have found it and uh, a lot of people are reading it. And uh, already we've had some uh, very positive feedback, very enlightening as people have been reading it and putting it into their own uh, everyday life and their own experiences as they think back on things that has happened to them and their own present uh, health challenges that, uh, that they have. Awesome. Yeah. So if you haven't listened to the podcast yet on Begin Again, on my dad's book, we it was uh, just recently released and you can uh, get the book on his website and possibly Amazon. And we're going to try to get it all over the world because this is, if you have trauma, which we all, everybody has, we all know we do. This is a book that you must read. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you for connecting with us. We look forward to connecting with you next time because we're going to be talking about cognitive decline with aging. Big, big topic. It's a hot topic right now in the world. And we, so we want to give our two cents on that. So if you have any questions about cognitive decline and aging, um, more specifically, possibly Alzheimer's or dementia, if you have questions on that, please send them in and we'll be sure to answer them in our next podcast. Thanks so much for being here and we'll talk to you next time. Talk to you next time. We want to remind you that knowledge isn't power. Applied knowledge is power, where knowledge turns to experience. We encourage you to implement the information shared, allowing you to shift your energy from head to heart. If this is your first time listening, we would love for you to subscribe uh, to connect and grow with us in the coming weeks. If you'd like we, what you've been hearing today, we encourage you to go wherever you're listening to leave a review. Tell us what you loved about the episode. Tell us which one was your favorite and share topics you would like us to talk about. And if you're interested in learning more about biological medicine, uh, go to my website, drdixontom.com. And if you'd like to learn more about how to shift your nervous system and heal using movement, I encourage you to visit fitimize.ca to learn more. Thanks for listening. And we look forward to connecting with you 
on the next episode.